Welcome to this episode of the Think Wildlife Podcast. On this episode, I speak to Archana Kotbole, who is the founder and director of the Applied Environment Research Foundation. The theme of today's episode is the conservation of sacred groves, which are tracts of forests which are regenerated around places of worship. Sacred groves are predominantly found in the forests of Rajasthan, Meghalaya, Madhya Pradesh, and the Karnataka and Maharashtra regions of the Western Ghats. We talk about all the extensive work AERF is doing to conserve sacred groves and more. Tune into this episode and don't forget to share and, sub- and subscribe. Welcome, Archana. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Uh, hi, Anish. Good to see you and thanks for following me uh, for this podcast. What does AERF stand for and what is the idea behind this? Uh, AERF's long form is Applied Environmental Research Foundation. And as you know, in the in the name itself, we do a lot of applied research, not just academic research. We do work which makes difference on the ground for conservation, conservation of forests, conservation of biodiversity, and now all this will be, uh, you know, beneficial to community. Um, so this is what AERF is. We started uh, almost um, 30 years ago in 1994-95. Before that, uh, I was working in Botanical Survey of India Western Circle Pune office. Uh, while working there, I realized that, uh, you know, I may not be able to make difference or, you know, uh, try to implement my ideas however weird they are. Uh, by remaining in the government setup. So I left my job after completing the PhD. Uh, I did my PhD in ethnobotany, that is the um, uh, study of, uh, you know, how indigenous communities, they use plants and forests and what we can learn from them about conservation. So after completing my PhD, I left the job and I started uh, Applied Environmental Research Foundation with few young, uh, like-minded friends. And um, in first six months, we completed the formalities of registration and all. And uh, since during my PhD days, I worked quite a lot and tried to understand what sacred groves are. Um, we've decided that uh, let's see if we can start our work with sacred groves. And fortunately, we ended up in Ratnagiri district of Northern Western Ghats, where uh, there are large number of sacred groves, of course, degraded. Uh, but there was quite a lot of scope to go and work with communities, whether we can really um, bring back the old tradition and uh, uh, develop some kind of a long-term approach for conservation of sacred groves. But yeah, our main objective and main goal was to work on the ground and to make change, uh, to see that, to demonstrate how the change can happen. And how things could be done on the ground, you know, we we purposefully decided that we will not do policy research or rural development because there are lots and lots of organizations working on that. And even though in those days, there were many such organizations were there, but there were very few who were working with the main goal of conservation. So for us, since our inception day till day, Conservation first is our goal, you know. You have been working on the conservation of sacred groves over three decades. What are the key milestones? And firstly, what exactly are sacred groves and what are the main threats? Uh, See, sacred groves are 
traditionally maintained and protected patches of forest that are available that are available um in the northern western ghats as well as other parts of india and they are also um observed across the globe in different countries and different continents basically it's the very rich cultural practice of local communities to keep aside a patch of forest for a deity for your ancestors for you know evil spirits or spirits or um, you know deity of the clan and so on um so these are generally um, known across as uh, sacred forest and uh, they are identified um they are known by various names across the country like in karnataka they are called as kans in in kerala they are called as cows in in tamil nadu they are called as kovil kadus in central india they are called as sarna if you go to rajasthan and uh, gujarat they are called as orants or devbanis so this tradition is uh, uh could be seen across the country except in um um areas like punjab and probably haryana where agriculture has been settled and there was no forest for you know almost for a couple of centuries one would say so this rich tradition is very important uh, in today's context because these sacred groves are the treasure troves of biodiversity because uh in the northwestern ghats as well as elsewhere you can see a patch of forest uh, on the background of you know barren landscape uh, so this small patch is very important because it maintains the relict forest that is the ancient forest which were prevalent in a particular area and you can see some of the very rare and endangered plant species um thriving only in these sacred forests uh, the size of these sacred forests could be like a, a small patch of 5 to 10 acres or sometimes it may be 100 acres or even more and these are absolutely amazing uh, laboratories if you want to study the ancient vegetation in a particular area if you want to learn about the ecosystem services if you want to learn about ecology of a particular area um and obviously around this protection of forest lot of um, you know um understanding and development of culture especially in terms of deities how the deities have developed why the sacred forests were kept in their names how the whole landscape was sacred because of certainties and their influence so all that <clears throat> is also linked uh, there are two kind of you know theories some people say that it was mainly the worship of deities and ancestors and therefore to maintain the secrecy these forests and sanctum sanct in that small area was maintained and protected by the communities so this is one view point and some researchers would say that you know mainly the uh, ancestors and um, wise people of the past they knew that we need to have some kind of a gene bank or a, a place where all the biodiversity from our area could be preserved for posterity in c2 and therefore they put the deities and uh, link the deities uh, uh, with conservation so that's how 
uh, these sacred groves are. I can I can really talk about sacred groves and our work and my research and understanding across the country, also in other countries for a long time. But I think uh, uh, let's move to another question. So this tradition is very important, and we can learn for conservation even today. Now, uh, of course, it is not all great that you know all the communities and all the indigenous people are maintaining and protecting their sacred groves as their uh, previous generations. As the development has started, as everyone is uh, is 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 trying to make best use of their land and get direct benefits, um, so people also started destroying or. You know, using the sacred groves for their uh, for for their benefits, and uh, at some places, local people have converted these ancient forests into kind of gardens, and they have done beautification. You can see at many places in Ratnagiri district in Chipun uh, block, or <clears throat> sometimes government wanted to make a road. Um, so obviously, if the sacred grove is falling in the shortest possible route, it was it was uh, you know cut. Uh, then you know sometimes the local people would like to renovate their temples, and they don't have money, so they cut the ancient giant trees from the sacred groves and 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 sold that wood and generated the money for renovation. Um, so there are lots and lots of issues and threats, you know, to these sacred groves. But in my opinion, the most important thing is the way younger generations and the people around the real natural resources in the in the remote areas were connected to nature. That connection has has lost uh, in, in in say last 30, 40 years. And once that connection of deities, their culture, traditions, and nature has been lost, then uh, there was absolutely no problem for local people to cut or clear fill the sacred groves. Um, so in our work, most important thing is how do we re-establish that connection of local people uh, with uh, such traditions and nature uh, forms the, uh, that, that is very important to us. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the funniest thing is, um, especially in the northern western ghats where uh, most of the land is owned by local people the only common lands available were sacred groves and in early 80s there was a drive of social forestry and government had given targets to um, different states and districts to complete their plantations uh, in the northern western ghats in ratnagiri and sindhudurg since other common land or revenue land or forest land was not available so, forest department, social forestry directorate, uh, you know, unknowingly, they clear-filled the sacred groves, gave some money to local people, local villages, and uh, they planted um, acacia auriculiformis or eucalyptus uh, plantations, you know. So, in the process, we have lost many, many rare and endangered uh, species. And another very important thing is, even if you want to um, you know, remove those plantations because those plantations are quite old now. The process of getting permission from forest department as well as revenue department to cut those trees and use that area to regenerate, rejuvenate, restore the sacred forest is very, very long. You know, um, so so these are uh, various issues. You know, 
uh, that are around the sacred forest. Talk about some of the work you have done uh, regarding the conservation of sacred groves in the northwestern Ghats, and how you have scaled these conservation projects up. Uh, I think we have been we we started with uh, you know awareness generation and talking to people what the sacred groves are. And what is their perception and what they want to do with this, their sacred groves. And a uh, long time ago when we started this work, uh, in 1998-99, uh, after our, you know, scanning of the area and understanding the sacred groves and issues around these sacred forests, um, we have selected a few villages and we started talking to people. And in one village, Vashi Tarpa Sangameshwar, we got very good response from people. And uh, with our efforts, uh, <clears throat> we could you know restore that sacred groves uh, sacred grove of 22 acres you know about seven and a half hectares um to to its uh, you know past glory when we started working there many large trees were cut and areas were opened up so we did plantation of indigenous species there number one and uh, later on with a lot of follow-up and work with communities the local people uh, put a stone fence around these 22 acres of sacred forest, which was a huge, big work and, work, and we never paid us even single rupee to them. So this was the real community partnership and engagement. And from there, we started replicating that model that, you know, if people can, um, you know, collaborate with us for plantations and, and, and see what uh, the response is. And we realized that... Um, for say few years, five to six years, people were interested in such plantations and rejuvenating the sacred groves. But later on, um, there was quite a lot of pressure to use the trees within the sacred forest. In some cases, people wanted to rebuild, renovate their temples within the sacred forest. And then they said that, uh, you know, why can't we get some direct benefits uh, from these groves? So we started working on that. And uh, uh, since last, 10 years, 10, 11 years, uh, we are working with communities and we have developed successful uh, sacred grove-based green enterprises that is saving the giant ancient trees within the sacred groves. Also collect the non-timber forest produce like uh, fruits of Terminalia chabula and Terminalia bellerica. Uh, in the process, engage with communities, um, get this whole enterprise certified and give more um, prize to the community and collectors um, through this uh, collection of fruits. And then we also have the processing center where we process and make this into some of the Ayurvedic medicines and uh, then we export it and uh, all these products are uh, fair-wise certi certified. Um, so I'm just, I, I'm just telling you in short, but it took us like quite a lot of time to develop this approach and to, to engage meaningfully with communities and share share the benefits with them. And uh, we have definitely scaled this up. We started with a few sacred goals now in we are working uh, and uh, using this enterprise model, model in more than 22 sacred forests uh, from Ratnagiri district and also a few from Pune district where we collect these uh, these fruits. And then we are also looking at, you know, what other kinds of trees are available. Many people ask me the question that uh, as a part of rules and regulations of managing sector goals, uh, to collect anything was forbidden and how do you do that? But 
uh, it is not the case in all the sacred groups. If the um, village elders decide that they can collect without destroying or cutting the trees, uh, then such collections are allowed. And of course, you have to take the deity's permission before you do any um, activity within the sacred forest. So that was quite possible. And uh, um, in, 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 in that sense, we have definitely linked the conservation of sacred forests and community benefits. On top of it, um, there are biodiversity management committees, which are the local bodies established as a part of, you know, Biodiversity Act of India. And uh, these bodies are responsible for protection. But since they don't have any resources or financial support, they can't do conservation. But through this, they are getting directly uh, direct incentives um, over and above the higher price which we give to local people for collection. And, uh, and therefore, all the BMCs, Biodiversity Management Committees, are also engaged with us in protection of sacred groves. And uh, now we are planning to... Uh, you know, scale it up to other areas where such trees or other trees where we can go for international certification and get more prize in the process build community uh, capacity of the community. Uh, so that's what is uh, going on. And uh, that is definitely a very unique approach AERF is following because uh, there is no other example in the country where uh, sacred groves have been brought under such kind of green enterprise. And that could be uh, really beneficial both to people as well as conservation. In the process, um, we, we, we are, we are <clears throat> also contributing to conservation of landscape in the sense that the trees um, which we are protecting from sacred forests, they are uh, Terminalia bellerica trees. And uh, these ancient giant trees, these trees are used as nesting sites by great hornbills and uh, Malabar hornbill, Malabar gray hornbills and uh, uh, malabar hornbills, malabar pied hornbills. And these hornbills in turn are responsible for dispersal of many, many tree species uh, across the landscape. And in this landscape, dispersal by uh, such birds is extremely important because we don't have any protected areas. All the landscape is open. Anybody can access and cut the forest completely. So, and, and later on, they never replant it again, you know. So it is uh, very important that, you know, this linkage of <clears throat> sacred groves, hornbills, local people's enterprise, and landscape level conservation. I think this is only one unique example uh, from Western Ghats. And we are very happy that we could develop, um, you know, this kind of approach. And uh, that is actually contributing to conservation of sacred groves to a large extent. So beyond sacred groves, could you briefly talk about some of the other work AARF does? Uh, yeah, Sacred Roses are uh, very long and first program and I'm very happy that uh, it is still continued. Uh, it is still continued till day. Uh, we work for conservation on the ground and uh, we look at landscape level approach where we are trying to uh, ensure conservation of unprotected landscape using the conservation agreement approach or conservation easement approach as it is called in the West, where uh, the local landowners <laughs> enter into an agreement with us for not cutting this and not giving their forest to a logging contractor. And in, in, in lieu of that, we provide them um, some direct cash incentive 
then once we enter into such agreements, we uh, do a lot of investment and see that this the, the degraded or um, you know forest land which is under brought under agreement will improve and uh, will get money to local people. So uh, within say five to ten years, they will take the take the decision for not cutting the forest and making best use of it to get some continuous annual uh, income out of that. So we're working on that. Then we are also doing a lot of work uh, for mangrove conservation in, in Raigad district and Ratnagiri district because uh, alongside the Western Ghats, we also have a big uh, Western coastal area. Uh, so we're working for uh, mangrove conservation. Then we are working on <clears throat> um, uh, promotion of, uh, you know, bio biofuel uh, trees like Pungyamiya pinata, and then uh, we are also um, we have a couple of campaigns running on global giving. One of the big campaign is save giant trees. You know, so we are saving trees, giant trees, big trees, ancient trees from the sacred forest, but as well as many, many sacred trees outside the sacred forest along the roadsides in somebody's backyard. So, so far we have, um, um, we have protected uh, more than 6,000 such giant trees and you can see many interesting reports on Global Gaming website and this campaign, then we also have another campaign where we are um, looking at protection of bees, you know, because you know how bees are important and how Pesticides have destroyed the bees, so we are working on that. Uh, then we are also working with a lot of corporate companies um, to bring conservation into their focus because most of the companies use their CSR money for philanthropic work and development work, rural development work, but we are working with many good companies where they understand that equal investment is required for conservation because conservation is an expensive affair, you know. It's not like you just put five rupees and you can save 500 acres of forest. So we are working with many um, corporate companies. Uh, we have a separate program for that called as business and biodiversity. So we also do a lot of um, capacity building <clears throat> of different stakeholders, especially the corporate managers and uh, the traders and uh, you know those who are engaged in um, in in our enterprise uh, model. So we do a lot of uh, capacity building and uh, uh, sometimes if it is required, we also work with school children if they are engaged in our programs, but we never do plantations and uh, awareness programs in isolation unless they have any direct um, connection um, into, into conservation uh, work we do. Uh, then we have a big program where we are promoting use of um, improved cook stores and how those improved cook, store, cook stores can reduce the um, carbon emissions and how the companies can gain some points for reaching their net zero targets. And then we are also looking at long-term uh, carbon finance uh, based on deforestation and forestation and restoration are concerned. Then we are into, um, um, into restoration of sacred forests and other degraded forests that are under our conservation agreements. So, you know, once you have to do conservation, then you have to do a range of activities because um, in conservation, the, the answers to the conservation issues, they lie in different approaches and you can't have something copy-pasted 
uh, or the same approach applicable everywhere. We also expanded our work of um, enterprises in the central India, in Chhattisgarh and uh, in eastern Maharashtra. Then um, at both places in the northern western Ghats as well as in the uh, in the central Indian landscape, we are looking at uh, corridor connectivity where wildlife movement will be uh, secured through such protected corridors, and uh, that will that will contribute to reduce the uh, man-animal conflict or help promote man-animal coexistence uh, as it was before. So we do range of activities, and I think within half an hour's time, uh, it is very very limited. Um, way I can explain. Um, but yeah, this is what we are doing. And uh, I always say that uh, for conservation, you know, uh, you need to come up with 100 ideas every day. And next day you understand that out of these 100, like just half idea is workable or doable. Start working on that. And if you think that you need to work on more ideas, think again of 100 ideas. So that's how it goes. And uh, I'm very happy that uh, great organizations have been supporting us like World Land Trust from UK or Conservation International or companies like um, uh, ATE or um, um, LTI Mindtree, they are supporting our conservation work. So there are lots and lots of individuals and companies and conservation uh, organizations within India, outside India. They have been supporting um, our work. Like earlier for my work on sacred forest, I received an award for that. Uh, but I think accolades, they come and go. You have to be firm on the ground. All the time you need to talk with communities, understand their perception, and see the change around and how in the changing situation you still continue getting community support for conservation, I think is the biggest challenge. And at AERF, me and my team of... Uh, people, including many, many local people, uh, we are constantly working on that. So what have been some of the most prominent challenges you have faced at AERF and personally in your conservation career? As I said, you know, for conservation every day, there are challenges, you know, because the, the, there is no one fix to all. So you need to always understand the challenge, um, what it is and where it takes you and whether you can really address that or not. Like, we are not going and fighting with uh, logging contractors, you know, who are getting the contracts of cutting sacred forests or private forest. Instead, we go to communities and request them. So where to address and what is to be done? Uh, but yeah, I think the globalization and uh, money is becoming <clears throat> the best denominator of everything. Even in the rural settings in India is the biggest challenge. And unless conservation can can really bring a lot of money to people. It's very difficult to work in such open access landscape um, and keep demonstrating that conservation can bring you money. And my final question for you today is that, uh, how can individuals contribute to AERS? Uh, we have a um, program called My Forest and Sponsor a Forest. So you can go to our website www.arfindia.org or www.myforest.co.in and you can donate or we have three live running campaigns on global giving. Global giving is a crowdfunding site and we have three ongoing campaigns so you can work like that. And most importantly, it's not just donating, you can come and volunteer with us. Uh, there is a volunteering form available on our website. You can participate. Um, 
and most importantly if you seriously um, love biodiversity and nature see to it that you will always try to take care of you know um, <clears throat> ecosystems around you or at least uh, plant few indigenous trees and take care of those trees of course planting uh, trees individually may not be sufficient to save the earth and uh, you know contribute to reduce the effect of climate change but still that is very important and i think uh, uh, as far as environment and overall well being of the of, of the nature is concerned there are lots and lots of issues and problems and see how each one can uh, really take up some issue and contribute uh, to resolve that issue for long term you know So that is the final question I had for you today. Thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Yeah, thank you very much. Bye.